morning. Welcome to the Lunch Break Bible Study. 20 minutes so that you can be in the Word, even if the only time you have today is your lunch break. This is Pastor Frank from Kansas City, Missouri. We are continuing today in the Gospel of Mark, picking up in Mark chapter 7 and verse 31. Jesus has just had this good experience leaving the uh, area of the Jews down in uh, down in Judea and gone up north to Tyre, a city that is populated by Gentiles. And there he had met a woman who uh, was a Gentile herself. And Jesus announced that she was made clean. That is, the evil spirit had left her daughter. She was she was saved. She had salvation because of her faith. Just as the food that we eat does not make us closer to God or farther away from him, neither does the accident of our birth make us farther away from God or closer to him. Instead, we are made clean. We are saved by faith in Christ. And this is what we're talking about today as well, because in chapter 7, verse 31, Jesus leaves the vicinity of Tyre and goes down through Sidon, which Tyre and Sidon are often paired together in the scriptures as kind of a geographical area, cultural area, Tyre and Sidon. So Jesus comes down through Sidon, and then it goes. he goes down to the Sea of Galilee, crosses the Sea of Galilee, and goes into a region called the Decapolis. And the Decapolis is called that because you can hear those words, Deca meaning ten, and Paulus meaning cities. Uh, ten cities. These are... Uh, cities that had been built by the Greeks when they were in control of this region. And they were populated mostly by Gentiles. You had kind of a mishmash of cultures here. There were Jews living there, um, but, the, uh, but the majority of the population was Greek, that is, non-Jew. Uh, there, when he was in the Decapolis, in this Gentile region, some people brought to him a man who was deaf and he could hardly talk. And they begged him to place his hands on Jesus. In verse 33, it says that Jesus takes the man aside away from the crowd. And then it says he puts his fingers in the man's ears. And then he spit and touched the man's tongue. And then he looked up into heaven and with a deep sigh, he said, Epphatha, which means be opened. Now you have these places where Jesus will do things like this. In, in, in one place, he uh, spits and makes mud with the spit and puts it on someone's eyes and, and heals his blindness. Here, he spits and, and puts his fingers uh, on the man's tongue, and then he, with a deep sigh. Now, that may seem strange to us. This is kind of a weird thing to do, um, but I want you to concentrate on the fact that Jesus is using uh, water and breath. And what's really important is not the the fact that it's Jesus's saliva. What's really important is that you 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 think of it as as water and and breath because if you think about other places in scripture, you think about especially in John's gospel, the deep deep connection that you see between water and breath and the spirit of God. Does that make sense? So when Jesus is He's taking water and breath from himself. That is his own spirit he is pouring out for the sake of this man who cannot hear. And by the pouring out of the spirit of God through Jesus, the man is healed. Because in verse 35, it says, At this the man's ears were opened and his tongue was loosened, 
and he began to speak plainly. Earlier in this chapter, Jesus spoke to the Pharisees about their hypocrisy, if you remember that, and used the words of the prophet Isaiah in chapter 29. He's speaking about the Pharisees, but he's linking their, their hypocrisy and their attitude toward Jesus. He's linking the Pharisees to the unfaithful leadership of Israel in the Old Testament, and especially here in Isaiah chapter 29, he said, these people worship me with their lips and their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are but rules taught by men. But in that same prophecy in Isaiah chapter 29, further down, Isaiah talks about God's salvation coming to his people who have been poorly led. And he says this in chapter 29, verse 18, he says, in that day, the deaf shall hear the words of a book, and out of their gloom and darkness the eyes of the blind shall see. The meek shall obtain fresh joy in the Lord, and the poor among mankind shall exult in the Holy One of Israel. So here in this event, the healing of the deaf man, Jesus is fulfilling what Isaiah had prophesied. The fact that he is able to do this, to heal someone, uh, heal someone of deafness, the fact that he's able to do that confirms that his words about the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, it confirms that his words are true. They do not worship God rightly. But Jesus is here to rescue the people of God. Now, though, now he's over in Gentile lands, that this salvation is being brought to include both the Jew and the Gentile. And we're going to see more of that here in this chapter. In verse 36, Jesus commands them not to tell anybody. But as usual, when Jesus tells them not to say anything, they run around and tell, every, and tell everybody. And in verse 37, people were overwhelmed with amazement. There's that amazed theme again. That, that, that good kind of amazement, not the bad kind of amazement that causes you re to reject Jesus, as if to say, oh, this is amazing, who does this guy think he is? But the good kind of amazement, uh, which says, wow, this is wonderful. We've never had anything like this happen to us before. Verse 37, he continues, he has done everything well, they said. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. But their attitude, this amazement, is also a fulfillment of the prophecy in Isaiah 29. Because you remember in verse 18 of Isaiah 29, it said, In that day the deaf shall hear the words of a book. It continues in Isaiah 29. It says, They will sanctify my name. They will sanctify the Holy One of Jacob and will stand in awe of the God of Israel. So this, their attitude of amazement is a fulfillment, a further fulfillment of what's going on in Isaiah 29. So what remains in Isaiah 29 is how people are going to react to what Jesus is doing. Will they be like those in Isaiah 29, 24? Because in 29.24, Isaiah says, Those who go astray in spirit will come to understanding. Those who murmur will accept instruction. Or will they be like those in Isaiah 29, verse 20, where it says, The ruthless shall come to nothing, and the scoffer shall cease. And everyone who watches to do evil will be cut off. How are people going to react to this? Both of these things are possible, to be a scoffer and be cut off, or to be a believer and to come to understanding. Chapter 8. Around this time during these days, another large crowd gathered. So remember where Jesus is. He's still out in the Decapolis region. He's still out among the Gentiles. And since they had nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion for these people. They have already been with me three days and have nothing to eat. If I send them home hungry, they will collapse on the way because some of them have come a long distance. Now, we should recognize this because this just happened back in Mark chapter 6. 
Jesus is getting ready to feed this crowd, just as he had fed those people back in chapter 6, but using the same term, compassion. He says that the same compassion that he had on those who were with him then is the compassion that he has on these people now. And what's the important difference? Just that Jesus is now in Gentile lands, near, near the Decapolis. Back among the Jews, Jesus is expected to be that fulfillment of the ministry of Moses, providing bread in the wilderness from God. So when Jesus does this among the Jews, it's fantastic and wonderful and miraculous and great, but it's understandable in that framework that Jesus has come to fulfill the ministry of Moses. But what's different here is he's doing it now among Gentiles. God is doing the same thing for the people who are astray in spirit as they accept instruction, that is, they've gathered around Jesus to hear him teach. So the attitude of Jesus toward the Gentiles, then, is the same as the attitude he had toward the Jews. All that matters is that they are with Jesus. They are gathered around Jesus. They believe in him and listen to his teaching, and he has compassion on them. Now, the disciples respond the same way they responded last time. You know, where in this remote place can anyone get enough bread to feed them? Last time they said, we can't possibly do it. We don't have that kind of money on us. But Jesus responds to them in the same way he responded to the disciples back then. He says, how much do you have? And they say, seven loaves of bread. Verse 6, he told the crowd to sit down on the ground. And when he had taken the seven loaves, he gave thanks. He breaks the bread and gives it to the disciples to set before the people and they did that. And they had a couple of small fish, just like they had before. He gave thanks for them and told the disciples to distribute the fish. The people ate and were satisfied. The pattern is still here. You know, the bread, the fish, the people eat and are satisfied. And then afterward, in verse 8, the disciples picked up seven basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. About 4,000 men were present. Right? That's how they counted the crowd, just uh, assuming that they had women and children there as well. And having sent them away, and then Jesus sends them away, he gets into the boat with his disciples and goes to the region of Dalmanutha. So he's just come from the Gentiles in Decapolis, and now he's crossed the Sea of Galilee west into Galilee proper. And we're not sure where Dalmanutha is. Um, the parallel passage in Matthew says that Jesus goes to Magdala, where uh, the name Mary Magdalene comes from. So we think it's the same place. The Pharisees come and begin to question Jesus. They want to test him. They ask him for a sign from heaven. Now, notice the difference as to why they ask Jesus for something. Jesus had been doing all sorts of signs, both here in this region and in, among the Gentiles. And you ask what kind of sign they're looking for when they say a sign from heaven. Why can't they see the signs that are from heaven that Jesus is doing all the time? Verse 12 Jesus sighs deeply and said, Why does this generation look for a miraculous sign? I tell you the truth, no sign will be given to it. Here's that sighing deeply again. Now, it, he may simply be exasperated with what they're doing, right? It just kind of, you, you imagine, if, you have a, if you've ever dealt with teenagers, you know what that is, an exasperated sigh. Uh, <laughs> maybe you give those, uh, but you'll see your te teenagers do that. You know, they, they roll their eyes and they exasperated sighs and, oh, you know, um, that may be it. Jesus may just be kind of tired of dealing with their nonsense. But I, I think because of the location of this, because it's so close to the healing of the deaf man where Jesus uh, sighed deeply and then healed him, and in that healing, I'm pretty sure that that sighing is linked to the Holy Spirit. I think you can understand this 
deep sigh in the same way that the deep sigh for the deaf man was understood. The message then is that the same Spirit is going out and calling people to seek Jesus. Some are receiving that Spirit to their healing and salvation through faith, like the deaf man did. Others are rejecting that Spirit to their judgment through disbelief. And if you're like these Pharisees and refuse to believe, then you will not receive the sign. You don't get the sign of the fulfillment of Isaiah 29, like the people who believe in Jesus. And then in verse 13, Jesus leaves them. He gets back into the boat and crosses to the other side. And in verse 14, it says the disciples had forgotten to bring bread with them, except for the one loaf they had with them in the boat. Now, Unbeknownst to them, on a completely unrelated thing, Jesus turns and says to them, verse 15, Be careful, watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and the yeast of Herod. And they were discussing this with one another. You can imagine you know, Jesus is standing in the front of the boat and turns around and talks to them about this yeast business. And the disciples are murmuring among themselves, like, what does he mean? What does he mean? And they, uh, and they come to the conclusion that Jesus is, is fussing at them because they don't have any bread. <laughs> that's, that's the only thing they can think is like Jesus is somehow um, upset with us because we didn't bring food with us. Of course, verse 17, you can't, you can't really hide things from Jesus. He's aware of what they're talking about. And he asked them, why are you talking about bread? <laughs> why are you talking about bread? And this kind of reminds me of the, another connection here between Mark's gospel and John's gospel. Um, the conversation that Jesus has with Nicodemus in John chapter 3, where, Nicodem where uh, Jesus talks about you must be born. And then the word used there means two different things. It can mean from above, or it can also mean again. Um, he says, you know, and he says this, and Nicodemus asks, how can someone be born again? Um, what are you going to do? Enter your mother's womb and be born a second time? And Jesus asks him, you know, you, you don't understand when I talk to you about earthly things. How can you understand when I talk to you about heavenly things? And it's the same sort of thing here. Jesus has a heavenly, uh, has a heavenly truth that he's trying to communicate in earthly words, as, as a, like a parable almost. And he's telling it to his disciples, and his disciples are completely lost in the in the earthliness of it. You know, Jesus is giving them a parable about yeast, and the and the disciples are thinking uh, he's mad at us because we don't have bread. So in verse uh, 17, Jesus continues, Do you still not see or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Do you have eyes but fail to see and ears but fail to hear? And don't you remember? I broke five loaves for the 5,000. How many basketfuls did I pick up? And they said, you know, 12. And then he said, I broke seven for the, for the 4,000. How many basketfuls did you pick up? And they, and they said, well, seven. And he said, you still don't understand? And when Jesus had fed thousands among the Jews... He has 12 baskets left over. And what's the significance of 12? Well, 12 is the number of the tribes of Israel. And if you have 12 baskets left over from feeding the Jews, what does that kind of signify? It signifies sort of the fullness of God's people. The fullness of all the people are going to be fed by Jesus. Now, when he feeds the Gentiles, he has a different number of basketfuls left over. It's seven. Now, seven is just a simple number of completion, not related to the nation of Israel. Seven is the days in which uh, God created the earth, and on the seventh day, he rested. So there's this number of completeness, this number of fullness, this number of, uh, of, of being uh, done with the, with the work. So Jesus asks, you know, I've got seven from the Gentiles, 12 from the Israelites. 
Don't you understand? My mission is to gather the fullness of all people, both Jew and Gentile. So when Jesus is saying, beware of the yeast of the Pharisees and the yeast of Herod, and what he means is, is that my mission to, to, the, to the world is to gather the fullness of people, both from the Jews and from the Gentiles, and gather them together. What he's saying is that somehow the, t- the teaching of the Pharisees and the policies of Herod are opposed to this mission. It's opposed to the mission of the unification of all people in Christ. And that's what the disciples don't yet understand. That's how their hearts are still hardened. They are still learning who this Jesus is and what his mission is. And we read in the book of Acts, it's not even until Jesus has died on the cross and rose again and and. Even after that, they have to be led by the Spirit into this understanding that it is both Jew and Gentile who are called to faith in Christ, called to be God's people. The Gentile, as St. Paul said, grafted in like a wild branch onto a cultivated olive tree, but all together as one people in faith in Christ. That's where we're going to end today. This is kind of a nice place to uh, stop because it seems to me at least... It seems to me that uh, there's a nice break here that uh, we get away from this discussion and and start moving into other things. Um, Much like Mark very often does, there's a lot of overlap, right? Because Jesus has been healing and talking about the... uh, the salvation for all who believe. And and we're going to have a healing ministry right here in verse uh, 22. But but I think this is a good place to to stop. And I think we're out of time anyway. So um, thank you everyone for uh, listening today. Thanks for all of the likes and shares and thumbs up on uh, Facebook. If you need to reach me, you can reach me at lunchbreakbiblestudy at gmail.com. Today's shout out goes to uh, Fran, who is a friend of mine. He's an, actually an elder in my church. I've known Fran for you know my whole time here in Kansas City, and uh, this is what he says. Uh, he said this actually back in December. Uh, sorry for finally getting this shout out to you, Fran. He says, this is a great opportunity to learn the Word of God from a teacher who has a thorough knowledge of the Bible. I've been studying and teaching the Bible for over 40 years and always learn much from these short lessons. Thank you, Fran. I really appreciate the feedback and the and the positive uh, positive feedback there. This is a whole lot of fun for me to do, and and I thank uh, my congregation that they give me a little bit of extra time in my week. All right, that's it for today. Uh, I'm Pastor Frank here in Kansas City, Missouri, on a beautiful spring day, and uh, I hope you have a blessed day. Thanks.